Okay, I am pleased to be joined. Uh, repeat guest from the Hockey Raiders as well as FC Hockey, it's Josh Bell. Josh, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing great, Steve. Thanks for having me back on. The last time we spoke, we were staring down the potential of the NHL rushing into a draft lottery before we even had a return to play. And that got shouted down, which, thank goodness, how have you been taking advantage of that extra time? Uh, there's been a lot to do. Uh, getting in as many views as I can. I um, Typically, this would be the time where I'm already looking ahead to the next draft, so I've started doing a little bit of that too. Um, but yeah, just trying to keep up, keep the content rolling. Uh, lots of questions now with slowly getting a, a better picture about how the draft is going to look and the, the order of who's picking where. So yeah, just trying to stay on top of that and keep the fans happy. And do you think you already released your final rankings? Will there be a final rankings 2.0, similar to how the NHL is having a draft lottery 2.0? I don't think so. I don't think there'd be too, too much that I would change as of yet. Um, that being said, October is a long way away still, so we'll see how I'm feeling then. Yeah, I mean, there's a chance that a whole bunch of these players see action in either preseason or regular season in some of the European leagues, which just thinking about some of the leaps that some players have taken, even in this year's playoffs, thinking of Kirby Doc, I wonder if there isn't a major leap that some of these players could take going into their, their draft. Yeah, it's definitely possible with all those European guys playing uh, action. Um, it's definitely gonna be something to keep an eye on. So. Yeah, like I said, I don't think I'll change too, too much unless there's a guy that kind of really jumps out over there. Then I might have to reevaluate. But uh, yeah, we'll just have to see how it goes. And one guy I would love to get eyes on again before this draft is Quinton Byfield. Because just looking at Doc, like I, I watched every second of that Oilers series, and he was an absolute menace. He jumped up a, a huge level, and he's just this big freak athlete and similar to Byfield in that, you know, there might be some holes in his game, but you add a whole bunch of man strength to what's already a, a powerful package would just be tantalizing. So it'd be interesting to see what, if one of the younger players in this draft class, if there's a leap to be made, uh, if he played games before this draft. Yeah, for sure. And I, I've said it before, I think Byfield could be in line for a Lafreniere type season. If you look at Lafreniere's numbers, especially at the World Juniors, they both had one point and when they were roughly about the same age in their first trip to the World Juniors. So this year, Byfield especially could have a big year. Um, over in Europe, I, I'd like to keep an eye on Lucas Raymond. I think a lot of people kind of saw him slide down their draft boards this year, but he's been my number three all year and I, I really think he could have a big year too. And he's a guy you're almost certainly going to get more looks at before yeah. this draft. So I wonder if he doesn't uh, kind of reemerge as a candidate to go in that two to three range. It's definitely possible, especially if he gets a little bit more ice time and he's used in some better situations. There might be some people rethinking where they have him. But you mentioned Lafreniere, and we're coming up on when the when people are listening to this the draft lottery phase two is going tonight um 
So there's the eight teams from the play-in are going to be vying for the number one pick. And it's all about Lafreniere. Like it's almost guaranteed that he is going to go number one and rightfully so, but we don't always see at the top of the draft that these players are bona fide household names like Lafreniere is. Where does he kind of rank among number one picks out of the cap era? He's de- I think he's kind of up there. I don't think he's um, that. He's definitely not that McDavid level. And I think he'd probably come in right behind uh, somebody like a Matthews, but he might be right there, maybe a little bit ahead of somebody like Hughes and Darlene. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see how it goes really. Yeah. I was talking with uh, Stephen Ellis on, we did the 2009 NHL redraft. Yep. And we were talking about how Ballyhood uh, John Tavares was going into his draft year and it was just a freak situation, right? Like he has a late birthday. So he ends up doing more time in the OHL and gets an extra world juniors in, but also he was an exceptional status player. So he gets four full years before going into his draft and he got to go to multiple world juniors, similar to Lafreniere with the, with the late birthday. And he hit a big, again similar to Lafreniere in his world juniors so he becomes this massive superstar before he even enters the league like I was I was going to school in London his draft year and so he gets traded to the London Knights and all of a sudden there's Tabara's jerseys popping up all over the city and everyone's super excited for this playoff run got the best player in junior hockey and it was it was something that I haven't seen kind of since I mean I wasn't around in southern Ontario for the McDavid draft year. So I'm sure it was very much similar. He was a, another freak, but I, I, I just think that Lafreniere definitely is in that ballpark just because he had that opportunity. So the question I have in the NBA and the NFL, these players, they go off to college and they become superstars there. And yeah. then they go pros and they're already household names. How do we do a better job of turning these draft prospects into superstars in order to build up that hype and, and revenue streams and stuff like that, do, do we need to bump up the draft age or is there just, is it just inevitable that not all the time we're going to have superstars coming in? I think pushing the draft um, age would definitely help that. You get that extra year, you get more international um, kind of national broadcast uh, games in, and that could really, really help. Like, like you said, for McDavid, for Tavares, these guys, or center of attention in these tournaments, Crosby. Um, and even Jack Hughes last year, I think he came in with a, a little bit of hype just because that uh, national team development program that he was on had so much hype around it all year. So really, these players just need to be in situations like that. It's a little bit harder for somebody like take Darlene in 2018. I don't think he really came in with that superstar status, but he's, he's proven that he can come in and be a probably a number one defender if he's not already and uh, kind of show up. So... It, it's hard to kind of figure out how to make them superstars before, but um, yeah, I think more international play and just getting their names out there as much as you can from the, the teams that they're with. Yeah. Like maybe we should be doing a better job of timing the major tournaments, like the, the world juniors, it took off because it takes place in a lull in the schedule. 
And so you get this massive captive audience that has nothing else going on. And so you're able to, to put the best prospects and, you know, you're, you're using national pride and all that stuff to really drive interest. And suddenly it turns into this mega event. And I don't think it's the same in some other countries as it is for us in Canada, but at the same time, it drives huge eyeballs. And I wonder if some leagues like maybe the CHL should look at not having the Memorial Cup take place at the same time as the Stanley Cup playoffs because you're not going to get the same attention. Whereas if you had your tournament a little bit earlier, then maybe you would be able to suck eyes away. Like NCAA, their March Madness, that occurs. I mean, there's playoff races in the NBA, but they're not going up against the NBA playoffs. And I don't think that's a battle that they would win. They kind of take advantage of that brief period between NBA playoffs and the NFL playoffs. And, and they're really able to grab a bunch of attention. And I wonder if that's something the CHL shouldn't be looking at, especially since they're looking at such a disruption to their league because of COVID yeah. anyway. Yeah. I think a big thing with the world juniors is that TSN picked it up and really, really marketed it well and pushed it. So I think if someone like TSN or Sportsnet picks up these tournaments, like take the Holinka in August, that would be a prime tournament to kind of highlight as a prospect tournament, but it doesn't, it was a couple games were on, but not all of it. Yeah, they did better last year than in past years, but um, if they were really to pick up the U18s and the U17s even, and like you said, the CHL, like top prospect games, if you were to broadcast those and market them as much as you're doing with the World Juniors, maybe a lot of people would know these names a little bit better. Yeah, and I, I keep getting back to the fact that maybe the draft age needs to get bumped up because – it's so rare for these players to be able to make the leap and maybe because these players are going to have a little bit extra time to grow uh, with the NHL not coming back until maybe December, January, somewhere around there. Maybe we'll see a few more players from this draft class be able to make a leap. But I think that the fact that it's really difficult to crack the NHL and be effective at 18 certainly reduces the interest because you know you're going to be waiting for a lot of these players three four years before you even see them playing for your team so it's not like you're expecting instant impact from them the same way that you are in the nba and nfl yeah for sure and yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens with the delayed draft and how that impacts people stepping right in the other thing i've been thinking about with regard to these developmental leagues is like we're we're watching it with the MLB and it is it doesn't look like their season's gonna end they're trying but it really doesn't feel like sports can return right now without a bubble circumstance and I don't know how a league like the CHL pulls off a bubble with like 16 year old kids and I don't think it's really a league that can survive without butts in the seats. So are, are we headed towards the 2021 draft just being the absolute crapshoot of crapshoots? It, it really could happen. Uh, the CHL, they've, they've got their target date set with the queue starting in October and the other two in December, but yeah, it's going to be interesting. They're going to try to do the interdivisional play. So it's kind of a bubble, but they're still going to these different cities. So I don't really know 
it's going to depend on how COVID's looking then, right? And um, I know some people are talking about a second wave in the fall. If that hits, then that might kind of do it for hockey in the in the fall and winter. But um, yeah, it's kind of a, a wait and see approach, which is kind of sad. And we might have to head into the 2021 draft looking at past games from 2019-20 and international competitions from before now. So it's it's definitely going to be interesting. Yeah, so then you're looking at performance of these players a whole year behind and it's they were 16 but now they're 18 and like what the hell is going on with that it it just strikes me that this could be the absolute nightmare of nightmare situations for NHL teams trying to scout Um, so that that kind of brings me up to the Pittsburgh Penguins they've got a chance they could defer their first rounder in 2021 or for, sorry, their first rounder from this draft to 2021 that they owe Minnesota for the Jason Zucker trade. But can yeah. you think of any reason why they would do that? No, I think with where they're in the where, where they are in the draft order, I think they have to keep it in 2020. And especially looking to 2021 and how that's looking, I do I do think it's a good draft, but not potentially not being able to scout too much. Yeah, you get a top 15 pick as the Pittsburgh Penguins I think you have to keep it where do you stand on the NHL's decision to go with this multi-phase lottery I think they just should have done it all at once so I think I guess it would be the tonight's lottery should have just been the one lottery where you do it all at once it seems weird that all of these teams get a 12.5 percent chance to win it which is, I believe, higher than Buffalo had to win. So it just seems kind of weird how they did it. But uh, it gives them two events. It gives them another marketable event, and they need the cash flow. Yeah, I mean, the the math on that, it was like a 25% chance that one of the play-in teams would win one of the top three picks. So once you multiply the 12.5 times the 25% chance of one of these teams actually being in to create the phase two, the math doesn't work out that any of these teams actually have a better chance than Buffalo. But I I can see how people would see, okay, but now we are in this situation and now these teams do have a better chance than Buffalo did. Um, I, I, I also see why people would just want, it to be one event like if they would have just had not done the draft lottery way back then and we would have known the teams on Monday night and we could have just drawn them all perfectly reasonable but this is also a league that is about selling itself right so yeah instead of having one event they were able to have two and I typically hate the NF the NHL's half measures and I don't know it was it was really funny to me that it was like so on brand for them to have a situation where they could have 16 teams both vying for a chance at the cup and also (laughs) for a chance at the number one pick but I think it was good for for driving intrigue and and conversation and selling the sport now they get to have a second lottery and people are going to watch that on a night when everyone else is taking a break from what was an absolute breakneck playing round Definitely. And that came at a, the first phase came at a, a time when there was nothing going on. Right. So everybody kind of tuned in. Everybody was talking about the NHL draft, which is exactly what they wanted to build hype as early as they could. Yeah. And in terms of 
production value, I do think that there was a bit of a missed opportunity on the NHL's part with the phase one of the lottery because Bill Daly immediately is like, I've got eight cards here. So that means a, a team, one of, the, one of the play-in teams has one of the lottery spots and it kind of spoiled the ending. I, I thought it would have been so much better if he would have just revealed it, but they wouldn't have actually told us what the draft order was. So we didn't know. We All we would have known is that Buffalo was at the end. We wouldn't have known that they were picking eighth. And yeah. so you think he flips over the LA Kings card and you're like, oh, LA won the number one overall pick. That's crazy. That's going to be really good for them. And then Bill Daly gets a little smirk on his face. Maybe, maybe <laughs> Gary shows up and he slips him the eighth card and everyone's just like, what is happening here? Um, I thought that could have been awesome, a, a really entertaining bait and switch. So that, that brings me to the phase two. I think what they're going to do is they're going to run down the order. They're going to be like Pittsburgh Penguins pick 15th. But it'd be so much better if they just randomly like plucked cards of the teams that didn't win until you get down to the team that won. So, yeah. you know, you, you flip, I don't know, a card. Nashville, ah, you guys didn't win. Edmonton, you didn't win, and you're just humming them off. And it's like, okay. Because, like, I, I think it would just be patronizing for them to run down the draft order, be like Pittsburgh 15, Edmonton 14. And as soon as it skips a spot, you know yeah. that a team has moved up. And it's it's like it's like they don't know that we don't already know these possibilities. So I think they need to keep us as in the dark as possible until they reveal who has that number one pick. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, I think there's still some time. You could probably uh, pitch this to the NHL and have them listen to your idea. I feel like Down Goes Brown already wrote an entire <laughs> article on this, maybe multiple entire articles. Um, I can see that. So, <laughs> so I, I think it's in the ether for them, but uh, <laughs> I'm not sure that they're going to go with it. They They very much like to ruin some of that, uh, some of that mystery and some of that fun. Yeah. Um, so just thinking about, we mentioned Kirby doc going up a level, um, the Blackhawks, I feel like, like, obviously if you're a team and you won your play in series, it's, that's what you want as a fan, right? Yep. You, you want to be taken because you don't know how many more runs you have with Taves and Kane. Right. But I wonder if we don't look back in retrospect and consider that this was a fork in the road where if they would have lost, they would have, even if they didn't win the number one overall pick, they were looking at having a top 10 pick. And I feel like there's an inflection point in this draft class where if you've got a top 10 pick, you're probably getting a really good player that you're going to see pretty soon. And so they'd be able to stack up a guy like Doc and Bookfist and whoever they could have gotten in the top 10 of this draft class, say an Anton Lindell. And instead of having all three of those guys on their entry level deals in a year or two, instead they're, they're going to get a good prospect, but they're probably not going to see that guy until Bookfist and Doc and some of their other young players are on their second contracts. So I wonder if they didn't miss an opportunity to really stack up entry level deals and build up this awesome team, kind of similar to what the Leafs had with uh, Matthews, Marner and Nylander all on their entry level deals. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely something you have to consider. But uh, I feel like for if you're, if you're the Blackhawks, you're probably thinking, okay, we're probably in win now mode, even though like you still have Taves and Kane. I I think they have to try to go for it while these guys are still in the league. 
I can't see them kind of sitting back. But yeah, it is it is going to be interesting to look back and think, well, what if they landed Lundell? What if they landed Seth Jarvis? It, it's going to be interesting to to look back and see how that goes. Yeah, well, and I wonder if they it, the draft could still break their way. Like the odds are they're probably going to be picking 16th, 17th. So they very well could still end up with a Seth Jarvis um, yeah. if if teams make a draft mistake, what I think would be a huge <laughs> draft mistake. Um, that's that's just my opinion. I think Jarvis is probably a top 10 guy in this class or, or very much pushing uh, at the at the next level of uh, of the guys who are kind of locked in to that top 10. Um, the same question for the Canadians. They got big performances out of Yasberry Kotkic. Niemi and uh, Nick Suzuki. Nick Suzuki. My God, I cannot talk. Uh, Kotka Niemi yeah. and Nick Suzuki. Um, those guys are, are are they elite drivers on this team now, or did Montreal miss a similarly awesome chance to add another another fantastic piece to their puzzle? I don't think the Canadians did, just because I they think their prospect pool is a lot better than the Blackhawks. Like you got Cole Caulfield right at the top. Um, so I think, yeah, these guys are going to be drivers moving forward. And then when you get these other pieces coming up, uh, Romanov as well, like they could be pretty dangerous. Um, so I don't think they'll have missed an opportunity and they'll, they'll probably come in right around the Blackhawks for 16, 17. And um, yeah, so I, I think they're going to be pretty happy with their decision where they get these guys the experience in the playoffs and uh, kind of keep moving forward that way. Yeah, and I should just continue to reinforce. I don't think that as a fan, you should be rooting for anything but your team to win. But again, I, I do think there's a bit of a fork in the road. Like certainly Canadians Twitter and Canucks Twitter was absolutely ablaze ever since we found out that no, the number one pick was in play for playing teams. The, those fan bases were absolutely divided. Do we tank it? Should we tank it? And it's like, well, now you're in the top 16. Just, just embrace these chances when you get them because as an Oilers fan it, it could be a while before you get these chances again yeah for sure um, they look at the Pan Panthers they've only been in what I think five times and since they've been in the league so yeah if you're in the playoffs you take that chance I don't think the Panthers have won a playoff round since they went to the cup final in 96 that is correct <laughs> just writing about them today that's uh, the only time they've won playoff round actually oh my goodness I feel so bad for their fans and and insert joke here they there are no fans but obviously they do have people that root for them and I think that that's probably if the snowbirds are down there there that's a that's an area that's crying out for this team to succeed and they'll fill the building my goodness they they were throwing rats on the ice during their their cup trip like it's the potential is there it just they haven't ever gotten it together and they're gonna fire Dale Talon and and my joke was they didn't even let Dale Talon take a swing at being the head coach like every other GM they've ever fired <laughs> yeah that's interesting and yeah you look at Tampa and they've they've done pretty well down there but absolutely kind of can't seem to get a grip yeah, it's uh, it's definitely an ownership situation, and, and I, I do think that ownership is is probably better now uh, with, with the Panthers than it's been in some time. But uh, yeah, they're 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 in need. Um, with, yeah. Which which speaking of, I, I think you've got an article coming out 
about which team <laughs> needs Lafreniere the most. And you don't have yeah. to spoil the, the whole list, but who's your number one? <laughs> My number, it's, it is Florida. I think okay. you look at their, their kind of history um, and they just haven't had success. They had that one trip to the final and that's been it. You look at the roster and I think they've got a lot of really, really good pieces right now. You got Barkov, you got Huberto, Hoffman, Dadnov, you got uh, Aaron Ekblad on the back end and Bobrovsky had a bad year, but he's, he's still a, a great goalie. Um, yeah, I think they just need a, a little bit of a push. Well, it's so funny because the Panthers, they've, they've had the number one pick a handful yeah. of times and they traded it twice in drafts where there wasn't necessarily a, like a definitive number one guy. Both times they traded it. I believe they ended up going back to number three. That was the Rick Nash and they ended up taking Jay Bo Meester. And then in yeah. in 03, uh, they traded back and got Nathan Horton and Marc-Andre Fleury went number one, but probably the best guy was, was Eric Stahl at number two. Although we didn't realize that the actual best guy went in the second round in Patrice Bergeron. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. They, yeah. But they did get Ekblad who he won Calder right off the bat. And then he kind of, I feel like he's been a steady player, but he's never been that kind of superstar that they thought he might be. Yeah, I think that just boils down to it's so hard to impact the game as a number one defenseman. Like, I think he has actually become that guy. Like, he started really hot, and then he wasn't as good his his next couple of seasons. But the last couple of years, he's been legitimately good. This past year, I think he he and Mackenzie Weger, they carried like a 55% shot share for the whole season and I think their their goals for metrics were a little bit below that but still in the black so and that was on a team that got absolutely destroyed when when Ekblad wasn't on the ice so I think I think he is what they they bargained for it's just it's really hard to impact the game as as a non forward and so if they were to add another electric forward to their mix especially like I think they're going to lose Dodonov and Hoffman in free agency because I think they're looking to cut salary that was the uh, the Elliot Friedman article so I mean if there if ever there was a time to inject immediate young talent into your roster uh, that would be the time yeah I think uh, and if they do lose Hoffman and Dadanov, adding Lafreniere in there would probably ease that a little bit and maybe see what else they can do. But imagining Lafreniere next to Barkov would just, just be great. Yeah. And then you can run Huberto on his own line or you stack all three on a line and you're like, Hey, Boston, we like, (laughs) we got you. We have a new perfection line. Yeah. Um, I prefer the Ratatouille line for, for the Boston line, but that's just me. Yeah. (laughs) Um, My hot take honestly is that, Every single team that lost in the playoff round needs Lafreniere. Like every single one of them. They all lost to flawed teams, right? Except except maybe the Rangers, because I think the Hurricanes are legitimate contenders. And my only question was, was the Ranger matchup a bad one for them? And they absolutely dismantled the Rangers. So, (laughs) and, and clearly the Rangers, like they got dismantled. So they need Lafreniere as well. And I just think none of them were good enough to earn a buy. None of them proved even worthy enough of making the real playoffs. 
so there there's there's different levels to this you know if yeah. you're florida it's like can we can we please just stay as the 18th best team in the league and not completely bottom out give us the number one pick but if, if you're <laughs> if you're edmonton or you're pittsburgh you're like yeah oh, no we want to be we want to be legitimate contenders again and i think pittsburgh's already there they just need to make some tweaks but yeah, I mean, if they land Lafreniere, their their window cracks wide open again. And if you're Edmonton, you probably become a legitimate contender if you get him. So every single one of these teams could use him. Yeah, for sure. And I point that out too, that every every one of these teams could use him and should want him. But I kind of base it on um, their current roster, their recent history, and their prospect pool and kind of base their need that way. Yeah, I also wonder the NHL is this, this league built on parody, but I wonder if it wouldn't be better for the best prospects to be going to the best teams. Like you look at the NBA and the popularity has absolutely exploded in the super team era. Their superstars are made superstars because they impact winning in such a way that they're always on that, that biggest scale. They're making it to the NBA finals or close to and when they don't it's like what is wrong with these guys um and you know it isn't a ridiculous statement to be bringing that stuff up right so it drives intrigue love them or hate them the the blackhawks were in every outdoor game for a reason right that's as close to a dynasty as we've had in decades you think about the 90s yankees what they did for baseball coming out of that 94 strike that almost killed the sport 2000s Patriots they've been great for the NFL you know no one loves to hate on the Patriots more than anyone who's not a Patriot fan right like it's it's fantastic for the sport so getting Lafreniere to a team that could suddenly become an amazing dynasty would be I think that would be fantastic for the sport yeah for sure and I I do think if for the best storyline it would be the Penguins winning the right to Lafreniere getting two Ramuski talents number one overall I, I think it just kind of works perfectly and imagining him next to Crosby and Crosby guiding him the way I'd feel a lot better about Lafreniere becoming a superstar next to Crosby than pretty much any other team other than maybe the Oilers with McDavid. Yeah. So f- four teams in the lottery, P- Pittsburgh, obviously an awesome destination for him. Do you think he's a star wherever he goes or is there like, is there really a best destination for him? I think he's probably a star wherever he goes. Um, going somewhere where they have that number one center already, I think is best. So if you go to Florida, you go to Edmonton, um, Pittsburgh, I think that works out best for him. Um, even the Rangers. But um, yeah, somewhere like um, who's the other one, Minnesota. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know how well he'd do with the, I think their their center core is a little bit, aging but uh, of course they could use them too now is there a team in the lottery that you think could do the unthinkable and go for a byfield number one if they win because of that hole at center that some of these teams have yeah i think there's two teams that i would think would really really look at byfield and that would be the rangers and the wild i think down the middle they might need that extra number one guy um extra they might need that number one guy and um especially the wild i was also looking at nashville because they've been trying for over a decade to find a number one center the the whole 
existence of that franchise. They ended up with the number two pick in the Vanilla Cavalier draft. And number two was David Leglon. Like, sorry, it's, you, you got the, the very knockoff brand, right? Yeah. Like, they just, they haven't had one. They traded Seth Jones for Ryan Johansson. Yeah, sorry, he's homeless man's Ryan Getzlaff. Like, he's just, <laughs> he's not there. You, they, they finally went out and got Matt Duchesne. They tried it to trade for him. Um, they couldn't get him from Colorado. Instead, they settled for Kyle Turris. Yet, sorry, <laughs> Kyle Turris is turning into a pumpkin. <laughs> the second you extend him. They they do finally sign Matt Duchesne. And it's like, Matt Duchesne's better on the wing. Sorry, he's you're you've got a ceiling if Matt Duchesne's your number one center, as wonderful as a player as he is. To me, Nashville's just screaming out to take a number one centerman. Yeah, that's a good point. It'd be a, a great destination for Byfield and I'm sure he would feed Philip Forsberg all day. But instead, he's probably going to end up on the Los Angeles Kings and be the most overqualified number two behind Anze Kopitar. Yeah. This is God true. help me. Yeah, and then for them, it's interesting because then what do they do with um, Alex Turcott? The most overqualified number three centerman in the league. Just <laughs> just stack them yeah. up. Just or Or maybe Byfield turns into... Jordan Stahl on on the Pittsburgh Penguins when when they won their cup, right? It's yeah. you can make it work. Yeah. I I'm I'm fairly disappointed about what happened with the Oilers. I thought that they should have been able to take care of business against the Chicago Blackhawks, but it, it was clear that they didn't and their young players I think that they will have learned one hell of a lot. Ethan Bear, he's He's going to be thinking about how he lost just about every net front battle and got boxed out in front of his own net for that entire series. And Kyler Yamamoto is going to be thinking about all the undisciplined penalties that he took in game three. And th- those guys aren't the reason that they lost, but certainly them not stepping up. Um, di- it didn't help. So uh, can you, can you soothe my, my concerns or, or do you think the Oilers are, going to be in the mix uh as a playoff team once again next season yeah i do i think that they have to improve and these young guys getting that experience i think is is going to go a long way like you said they're going to be thinking about what happened and they're going to try to improve they're going to get better uh yeah i i don't think their oilers are going anywhere anytime soon with mcdavid unless he demands a trade or anything he looked pretty disappointed on the bench when they were eliminated but uh yeah i i they're going to be in it for a while yeah, the thing is, aside from like a completely irrational tweet from an, an irrelevant person, no one was questioning what the Oilers' best players did in this series. They stepped up. They were phenomenal. There was even the, the hilarious uh, tweet that went out that Connor McDavid set the most points in a playoff for a team that didn't even qualify for the playoffs, which hilarious, right? Um, yeah. So their best players stepped up. So you know you've got the bones of a team that can win, and it's just a matter of whether they can fill the pieces in around them. Uh, so as far as those pieces go, is Evan Bouchard, is he going to be a player for them next year? And can any of their other prospects start pushing their way up into the regular lineup? Because I really do think stacking entry-level deals is one of the best ways to crack open a championship window. Yeah, for sure. I think Bouchard is probably the first guy to go up. Um, and they're, 
their D unit might actually develop into one of the better in the league with Nurse, Clefbaum, Jones, Bear, Bouchard. You've got Broberg in the ranks. He's going over to Europe, and he'll probably stay there for another year, but uh, he's maybe the year after. Um, forwards, Yamamoto is obviously he's, – he's there for good now. Um, but I, I'd keep an eye on Tyler Benson. I, I really liked him this year. Um, and, yeah, he could be a guy that uh, is up sooner rather than later. Yeah, I really liked Tyler Benson last year. And not as much this year, but I think that maybe was a product of the fact that their farm team just wasn't anywhere near as good as it was because of the graduation of guys like Ethan Bear and Caleb Jones to the main club, as well as Yamamoto at midseason. Uh, I'm kind of along, thinking along the lines that Bouchard's probably going to be a guy who we see at the at a similar time as we saw Yamamoto, rather than being a guy who breaks with the main club right out of the gates. What does he have that he needs to work on still to be able to be a guy who breaks with the big club right out of camp? Um, honestly, I, I do think he could break right into camp. Um, yeah, from what I've seen, he's just he's a pretty dominant guy. He can he can run the the power play. He I I think he could do it right out of camp. Well, that that would be supremely exciting because that would give them a lot more flexibility in terms of what they can do and maybe, you know, they find a way to remove uh, a few dollars that they're spending on the back end and start pushing them towards their forwards because certainly they need some help there and, and the flat cap is not helping their situation out at all. Um, they're looking at somewhere around the 13th or 14th pick, assuming the, the one in eight odds don't come in. And honestly, I don't even know if I want to be rooting to win this draft lottery as an Oilers fan. People already piss on them enough, even though most of the draft lotteries that they won were in the wrong year to win a draft lottery. Like, was there a worse lottery to win than the Nail Yakupov draft? I wanted them to take Galchenyuk, well, number one, and he ended up going, what, number three. Um, and e even that, like, that would have been a disastrous pick. Like, he is, he's put up some points, but he's clearly a very flawed player. And I wonder if we even see him continue in the NHL beyond, beyond uh, now that his team's out, if we ever see him in the NHL again. Um, that, that was just, that was just a horrible draft. And, the better players went kind of in that five to 10 range and that stuff can happen. So I don't want the number one pick. I don't want, Oh, the Oilers got another one and they're going to screw them up. Like <laughs> I, I, I don't care. Just I, all I want is Seth Jarvis at 13 or 14 and just continue building. And Jarvis is going to be fantastic for them in two or three years. Oh, yeah, he would for sure. And I actually have Jarvis at 14, so he, he might be sitting there right for you. Yeah, I think he's just, like, he he's he's not a perfect clone of Yamamoto, but he's he's so much like him in terms of the undersized package, but just relentless with his skating and forechecking and his ability in the small area game. I think it would just fit in so well with either a McDavid or a dry sidle that he's just, he's picture perfect for this team. And it's, it's wonderful when there's players who don't have a first round body, but have a first round game and you can steal them 
outside of the the regular lottery picks. Yeah, for sure. He's one of those interesting players where he doesn't really have one trait that stands out as I have to have this, but he just does all those little things right. And he's just that sound package that you just want on your lineup. And yeah, I definitely think he could be up there with McDavid and that could be uh, the winger he's always needed. Absolutely. They, they, they desperately need a guy like Jarvis to pair with McDavid. Although Mc, McDavid, like he's, no one makes turning water into wine the way that McDavid does with guys like Archibald and Cassian and stuff like that. So um, yeah, he's, he's going to make it work. And, but I, I all the same, I, I want to see Jarvis on this team. <laughs> I, I, my heart is set on it. So if anything else happens, it's, it's going to absolutely break. So uh, teams in that in that 11 to 13 range like you just you back off you you go somewhere <laughs> else you take a defenseman all right don't ruin this for me yeah, um, we'll be on Jarvis watch for you absolutely we've kind of been ignoring all the teams that already had their draft lottery and we know where they're going to be drafting and, and kind of for good reason we're still months away from the 2020 draft in yeah. early October but at the same time I, I think I think it warrants some conversation and we mentioned it with the Penguins having no real reason to defer their first rounder that they owe to Minnesota to 2021. The Sens and the Devils are both sitting on three first rounders in this draft class now that the Islanders and the Canucks have advanced and I'm, I'm assuming that you think that they would much rather have a pick in that 15 to 20 range or even if something crazy happens and one of those teams goes on and wins the cup, they would way rather have, you know, a top 30 pick in this draft than a shot at the number one pick in 2021, just based on what we kind of know about the draft class and how erratic that draft could be. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's going to be really interesting. Um, I, it's always a hard balance to try and determine whether you want your team to trade up or to trade down. And both of those teams could, really go either way with three first rounders uh, you always I've, I've read a lot of people saying that moving down is always the better option because you get a higher percentage chance of drafting a guy that will work out but if you can get up into the top 10 top five even like another pick in there you might have to do that in this draft so you're suggesting that they use some of that draft capital to trade up for a second top 10 pick just with that hinge point in this draft being right around that 10 range. I think so. I, it, again, it's a hard kind of balance to figure out if you want more prospects and to, to heighten that chance. But yeah, this year, I think you could really, I don't think you can go wrong with another uh, pick in the top 10. That, that kind of falls in line with, with my thinking, like my philosophy with drafts, just, just considering how scattershot it is with goaltenders and defensemen. I'm at the point now where I would just rank out all the forwards that have first line potential, both by what the scouts say and what the statistical profile says. And any player who doesn't fit, like this guy can be a first line forward just doesn't make the list. And so wh whoever fits that profile is your, I can spend a first round pick on this. Yeah. And then everything after that, you just trade down and accrue as many picks as possible and draft only defensemen and goalies. 
And that's how yeah. I would solve this problem of, we know who the really good forwards are for the most part. Like there, there are slip ups. We talked about Bergeron falling to the second round in maybe the best draft ever. Um, but it seems like that draft class as an example, so many good defensemen fall to the second, third, fourth, whatever round, like you can get them anywhere. And, and same with goaltenders, but you so rarely do with forwards. And certainly there are examples of yeah. top defensemen. We talked about Ekblad, but uh, that, that's just my draft philosophy, I think, going forward. And we'll see what shakes out with that. But do you think that's rational? Oh, yeah, for sure. If you, I've, I've done a lot of uh, articles looking at past drafts, and it always seems like the defenders are steals in the late rounds that are kind of end up becoming top two guys. So you can, it, it's not a perfect science with defenders still. You never really know how they're going to pan out and develop. There's always that talk about how you never know what's going to happen with the goalie. And it looks like defenders are, are really in that boat too. Um, forwards, there's, there's a little bit better of a science behind the scouting, I think, because um, they tend to be more first-round picks work out other than the occasional Bergeron or Mark Stone. Um, but yeah, I think it, it's pretty sound. And you talked about trading up for the Senators and the Devils who have these multiple picks. If they can't pull something like that off, and if we think that there's a hinge point in this draft, there's a good chance that the NHL teams do as well. So they'd be very unlikely to trade out. What, what's the base, best circumstance for those teams if they aren't able to trade up and get that second top 10 pick? So for the Sens, they do have the, the, two, the two in the top five. So I think they'll hold those two. But that third pick, I could see them trading and moving down. So one of these teams that doesn't have a first rounder, like potentially the Leafs, um, they might be looking at that and saying need that. So I, I would look for the third pick to be the one they trade. And probably the same for the Devils. Um, I don't, we don't know where their, their second two will be, but um, they could try to, to move one of them down and end up with two or more picks later on. Yeah, and we saw something like that work out for, I believe, the LA Kings. They traded down, and then they ended up getting an absolute haul in the 2019 draft. Yeah. Yeah, it happens, I believe it happens quite a bit where you, the chances of, of landing a guy when you have two picks are always better than one, right? So it, it kind of works out. Yeah, famously, the, the Toronto Maple Leafs example, they traded up for uh, Tyler Biggs, and then the Ducks ended up taking, what was it, Ricard Raquel and John Gibson with the two picks they gave up. Yeah. But there, there are examples of, of the reverse uh, proving true. I believe uh, in, oh gosh, what was it? I think the 07 draft, the Sharks traded a couple of first rounders or a first and a second to move up and they got Logan Couture in the, in the top 10. So maybe that's, you know, that's one of those, there's an inflection point in the draft examples, like you're talking about with, with the senators and the devils um, potentially moving up. Yeah, for sure. It's all, it's always a fine line and it, it's hard, right? You never really know how they're going to pan out. So you gotta be, you gotta be pretty confident in what you're doing. Now this year's playoffs have been, absolutely fantastic i feel like a drug addict watching these games and it's just like it just keeps coming and coming and coming and i just keep reloading and reloading and reloading and it's 
I don't know. It's it's phenomenal. Um, yeah. Is there anything that you're really looking forward to with these playoffs? Are there some some prospects that could potentially play big roles that are exciting you? Um, well, you mentioned Doc. I think watching him in these playoffs, that's just been incredible. Um, for the Leafs, Nick Robertson, I, I think he's been really, really good. Um, other than that, yeah, they're, they're the first two that come to mind right now, just off the top of my head. And, uh, of course, to, well, everybody's going to be listening to this tomorrow and already knowing the outcome, but tonight's Leafs and Columbus game is uh, looking like it should be a good one, game five. Yeah, I can't believe we only got one game five out of all this. I was very much prepared for Saturday to be awesome, but as it turns out, Friday was the NHL's red wedding, and the only thing that prevented it from being completely over the top was the Leafs somehow overcoming a three-goal lead in in the last few minutes, and that that was just ridiculous. I I missed that game because I went for a run after the Oilers lost, and I just I needed to clear my head. I was like, "There's there's one of two ways this can go. I'm just gonna pound a bottle of gin." Or I'm gonna go for a run, and I chose the healthy option. I guess that's yeah. that's proof positive that I'm an adult. But I came back, and it was overtime. I was like, "What? The Leafs? They were losing! Like what? And amazing, phenomenal! <laughs> so glad we got it." Um, yeah. With that red wedding example, would you, would you think that the um, the Leafs are are more Edmure Tully getting uh, getting dragged off to the dungeons? Um, and they're going to lose tonight, or are they more like the the Blackfish sneaking out at the last minute and uh, and then g- getting to go on and have a, a last stand? I, I did pick the Leafs to win this series, um, but you never really know with Columbus. You saw what they did last year to Tampa, um, and I'm not going to lie, seeing that Columbus-Tampa rematch would be pretty entertaining. But yeah, I, I do have the Leafs picked, and by the time everybody hears this, I'll either be right or wrong. Yeah, I've I've got the Leafs as well, but uh, we we all know single games are weighted coin flips, so I I don't have any confidence in that selection. You know, you mentioned the potential Columbus-Tampa Bay rematch. Is there a matchup in the first round that you're most looking forward to in these playoffs? Uh, I think that would be a good one. No matter who Tampa plays, I think that could be a really good one. who else do we have? Uh, yeah, that's the, the main one I'm thinking about right now. Okay, so for me, it's the Eastern Conference Finals rematch of Carolina and Boston. And I know Boston just has this, they have this feel of Nashville in 2018, where Nashville, they lost in the cup final, and then they roared back and won the President's Trophy. But you started to see some chinks in the armor by the end of the year. And that's so similar to how Boston just tanked this whole round robin. And then now they've got this absolute gauntlet that they would have to go through, potentially having to play Carolina, who's a legit contender, and then maybe Tampa Bay or Philly in the next round. And then one of those two teams, or maybe Washington in the following round, is it just doesn't end. And they've made this horrible road for themselves. And that's so similar to how. Nashville in 2018 they ended up having to play the Jets in the second round and those were maybe the two best teams in the league and they just punched themselves out and then Vegas ran over the Jets because they were ragged at that point and then somehow 
the the capitals finally put it all together and and they won the cup and i wonder if that's not a situation we see here with boston just absolutely getting punched out and the best team ends up not making it all the way yeah for sure for sure and if, if somebody's going to do it to boston it, it it'll be carolina after watching that uh, that top line of theirs it's it's just incredible to watch yes fetchnikov is he uh, is he the next superstar I, yeah, him or Aho, either one of them are ready to take off. I think, and that line is just going to take the league by storm. Yeah, I'm I'm here for it. Uh, in all my fantasy leagues, Svechnikov is untouchable. Yeah, <laughs> makes sense. Um, how about a cup favorite? Do you do you have one for this season, or are you just enjoying the ride? I'm kind of just enjoying it right now. Um, I mean, if if the Lightning are going to do it. I think it might have to be this year, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I really like the Flyers this postseason so far. So uh, I'll, I'll go with Flyers. Yeah, I was very happy to bet on the Flyers in every single round robin game, and they panned out in every single round robin game. So that was a that was a tidy little bit of sports betting for me, and I can't wait to lose all of those profits um, chasing them in in the next round. <laughs> Watch, watch them lose. Alain Vigneault gets outsmarted by Claude Julien once again. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, this was fantastic, Josh. Is there anything regarding the draft, the draft lottery that you feel like we haven't touched upon or have we scratched about just every, every itch that you have? I think we've touched on it all. Um, do you have a team that you think is going to win the lottery? that I think is going to win the lottery. Well, yeah. I don't believe in rigged lotteries. So I think that <laughs> it, it could be any of the above. And I just, I just don't want it to be Edmonton because I'm tired of the excuses. Just, just, <laughs> just, just, just Jarvis at 14 and, and, and we'll move on. Um, if there's a team that I'm yeah. rooting for, it's, it's probably Minnesota. They've never had the number one pick. The highest yeah. they've ever picked was number three, and that was the, their first ever draft. They drafted Marion Gabrick, and it worked out quite well for them. But it was one of those interesting situations. Uh, I was, you know, in, in doing these redraft pods, um, uh, reading old articles, and uh, I think it was Doug Risebrow, the the original uh, Wild GM, and by year three with Marion Gabrick they made the conference finals and they were, they were starting to go on this playoff run and they're like, are we peaking too early? Like, should we be going for this or should we go this slower and get another lottery pick? This, this is stuff that the team was actually talking about. And this is stuff that we're talking about with some of these teams now. So yeah. they've got Kaprizov coming over. They've got Fiala. I think he has one more cheap year or he's hitting a restricted free agency this summer, but with, with Kaprizov and then, with potentially the number one pick, they could stack a couple of ELCs together and have this dynamic young uh, young duo for a couple of years. And I think that would fault them to another level that, I mean, they've been stuck in the rotten middle ever since they made that conference finals run with Gabrick yeah. in year three. And they probably did rush things a little bit too much, but they got that conference finals run. And I don't think any Minnesota Wild fan is upset that they got that run like every every playoff run is precious so 
Um, yeah, Minnesota Wild, I think that's the team that I'm rooting for. And if they do win, everyone moves up um, an extra yep. rung, and that'll be good for everyone else. Yeah, that's, the, uh, that's definitely the safe pick. <laughs> well, right on, Josh. Uh, you've been generous with your time. You've been generous with your thoughts. You've entertained some of my wacky ideas. This, this is fantastic. <laughs> um, we plugged your article that's coming out today, tomorrow, <laughs> regarding the, uh, the teams that most uh, need Lafreniere. So we'll, we'll check that out. That's coming out on the Hockey Writers. Yes, it is. Absolutely. And uh, anything else to plug? Um, also on uh, FC Hockey, I uh, interviewed Dawson Mercer on Friday. So that should be coming out uh, as a video, a podcast, and probably a couple articles here pretty soon. Oh, that's fantastic. I have not absorbed enough Dawson Mercer content. I'm fully prepared for the Oilers to opt for a Q player instead, because it seems like that's kind of where Sweden or the Q is is kind of Ken Holden, Holland's uh, draft strategy wise, yeah. and so I'm fully prepared for the Oilers to break my heart and not take Jarvis and take Mercer instead. But he was great at the World Juniors as a role player, and yeah. I, it wouldn't kill me if it happened. So uh, I can't wait to devour that content. Perfect. Sounds good. Alrighty. Uh, thanks again for coming on, Josh. Yeah. Anytime. Thanks a lot for having me. All right, everyone, that is our show. Thank you so much to Josh Bell for coming on. Please make sure you give him a follow and check out his work. He is a fantastic resource for prospecting. I can't thank him enough for coming on and sharing his thoughts and the research that he's done. He, you know, he's doing the important work, the stuff that I'm really not willing to do. And I, I'm really grateful that he's willing to come on the pod. Um, hope you enjoy the draft lottery tonight. I think it's going to be exciting. Let me know on Twitter or wherever you can get at me um, who you think is going to win, who you want to win. Uh, do you think there's a conspiracy theory that the Penguins are going to win this draft? Uh, I'm I'm here for all of that. I'm going to make fun of you um, if you think there is a conspiracy theory, but just embrace it because that's uh, that's what this stuff is all about. And if uh, if you're liking the podcast, please uh, please like, subscribe, review wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, I'm I'm hoping this is fun content for you. Uh, it's fun for me making these. Uh, I can't believe it took me so long to do this. So uh, I'm going to stop rambling. That's the show. Thanks again for listening. I'm out.